The man of will breaks all boundaries. As above, so below. Magic of come to realize is a new way of seeing our own world. Something divine truly does exist. You're listening to the Culture Shock Podcast with your host, Dave Escuro. Good day, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Culture Shock Podcast. My name is Dave. I will be your host today as we go on a journey through a story that I found absolutely just amazing to listen to. My guest, of course, is Aura. You may know her online as Mage of Aquarius. Mage of Aquarius is the name of an esoteric art project by the 29-year-old Canadian woman who is known by the name of Auralite Ravena or Aura. Aura is a Celtic chaos witch and priestess of Morgan. She is in her third year of polythesis devotion to the Morgan and has been practicing witchcraft for over three years now. She offers tarot, oracle, and astrology-based reading services through Twitter and Etsy. She also runs a blog that hosts her devotional poetry and writings on pagan witchcraft. And she volunteers as host on Hero, the upcoming online social platform that caters to all types of witches, pagans, and occultists. You can find her on Twitter or Etsy at Aquarius Mage. And I wanted to make sure I gave her the proper introduction that she's due because, again, this is a person who I find in the occult space shines through with integrity and uh, maturity and insight in a way that I feel like we could all learn from. And I never see a post from her that doesn't resonate with me in some way. I've never read any of her poetry that didn't deeply touch me. And as we had a discussion and we really talked about her story, I I was honored that she was so willing to be open about her path in a way that was uh, had a level of vulnerability to it, truly. And also, I think, in a way that a lot of people can relate to. So I want to thank Aura so much for her contributing so much of herself to this podcast and to opening up and to allowing us are the humble listeners to her story to really get a sense of this wonderful person's path to magic and also uh, what what is next on her journey and i hope that like i did you all uh, come away with it feeling um, a renewed sense of energy in your own paths as well as, as well as a relatability to her path and that from that point of connecting that convergence of stories we can then grow together as a community in a way that is positive uplifting and ultimately helps us all achieve our goals within magic and occult spheres which is to raise and elevate our state of consciousness so without further ado i welcome mage of aquarius aura to the culture shock podcast Honestly, when it's like this, the days kind of blur together. I'm on a very, I'm on sort of an unusual sleep schedule, and I have to admit that I'm quite liminal right now, but, um, you know, can't complain too much. I live a pretty cushy life <laughs> right now. No, I, I can understand that. It, it hasn't quite reached those that level of heat yet in California, um, which I'm expecting really soon, because usually by mid-July, it gets to that triple digit amount but same i um i have a friend who just arrived yesterday and and they're staying here and uh so of course we entertained a little bit last night but i i went to bed at a decent hour but my dog uh aside from me still getting over my kidney stones and sometimes that wakes me up in the middle of the night my dog is up at like 6 a.m every morning Mm. now because it's just light enough you know 
and uh, she likes to go out in the backyard. And <clears throat> I don't like letting her out at dusk or dawn, you know, too early in dawn. But around six six thirty, that's light enough, and she's ready to go. So I've I've been up since about six a.m. and uh, <laughs> and I haven't yeah. been drinking coffee so for like two and a half weeks. So I'm really kind of in a oh. in a state of consciousness right now. You too, eh? I'm giving up stimulants because of my anxiety and you know whatever so <laughs> i should give it up i've only stopped drinking coffee because it's dehydrating and because i've been dealing mm. with kidney stones that i'm trying to focus right. on hydrate what i've subbed out my wife just bought for me is a chicory root it's like ground okay. chicory root and it it tastes very similar to coffee um it doesn't have any caffeine on on it though which is a bummer um but i probably should not be having coffee because i also have anxiety it's been like a lifelong thing but I just, right. I love coffee so much and I'm yeah. a glutton for punishment, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know the whole scene. Um, chicory root. I've heard of that one, but I haven't tried it. Another, another one that I've heard of is dandelion root. I tried oh, yeah. it myself recently. I can't stand it. Really? What does but, it taste like? Uh, it's like, like dandelions. <laughs> 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 I don't know. It's just I like more plant Okay, than I yeah. was expecting. I'm not very good at describing herbs, but like, you know, like you earthy? might give it a shot. Yeah, earthy. Yeah. Or like almost, uh, it's almost, you know how dandelion smells kind of like rubbery? Like, yeah. Uh, like, like, yeah, it just tastes like a rubbery plant. And almost like, like a synthetic or something? I mean, I don't know. You might give it a shot. Like, you you know, lots of people say they switch over to dandelion root tea, but me, I will stick with other herbals and uh, just I don't know, <laughs> live with it. Are you are you uh, are you lucky enough to be somewhere where you can sort of harvest some of your own uh, herbs no, for I teas? Am, no, I'm smack dab in the middle of the city. <laughs> <laughs> me too. That's not happening. I actually I, I actually went looking for um, mullion which mm. is one that's supposed to, it helps a lot with my allergies because mm-hmm. I have, I have those pretty bad. I have a genetic condition actually that makes me like more predisposed to allergies. It's mm. called a filagrin mutation and uh-huh. it actually makes my skin about half as thick as it should be. The top oh, layer wow. of my skin is like basically missing. So oh. that means that um, environmental allergens pollen dust dander like anything like that will penetrate my skin way more easily than the average person and so my body just makes like excessive amounts of histamine so i'm pretty much like so i'm a spoonie i'm always managing that i'm basically on antihistamines 24 7 and when i'm not when i'm trying to take a break i'm usually trying to manage it with herbals right and i scoured like i scoured a few different herbal shops that are not 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 too far away like i don't drive and so but um downtown is pretty accessible here um so but they didn't have it uh so i guess like a lot of people are suffering with the same thing so i had to resort to buying from the evil corporate giant amazon it's so tough you know i know i know like uh, most people that i know don't want to support that conglomerate but it's it's difficult when it becomes so invasive in our life like a weed 
talking about plants. It's like yeah. it's like you know now now that they've partnered with um now that they partnered with Whole Foods, uh, it's it, it, you know they have the media aspect of it. Um, so much of it ends up coming from there that in spite of the fact that I would hate I hate giving money to Jeff Brazos. It, sometimes it's a necessity and Etsy's awesome, but sometimes Etsy takes a really long time for yeah. things to arrive. If they arrive, you know, this, I mean, I've mostly had good luck with Etsy, but you know, that's, it, you're still sort of at the, you know, there's no quality control. It's, it's up to the individual user. Yeah. Um, and then there's like shipping get. to consider, which I bet shipping is like shit, like better in the States, but here, like you can, you can wind up paying, like Canadian shipping is expensive, man. Like I don't know really? what it's like there, but like between, like sometimes I try and shop like off for, from local small mm-hmm. businesses, but between like shipping across Canada and shipping across the U.S. border, winds up being like basically the same a lot of the time, depending on where they are. Wow. So so even international is almost the same as a domestic package in canada yeah yeah like to to get to from the u.s at least right so uh so you but you have items for sale on etsy as well right you're not just a buyer on it you use the platform for selling as well or is it mostly tarot readings it's all tarot readings right Hmm. now um tarot oracle and astrology based services um i've kind of thought about uh, you know, maybe selling things in the future, like witchy stuff. Like, you mm-hmm. know, I like, uh, I have, I have more advanced practices, but I also like to do more basic stuff. I like mm-hmm. to make spell models sometimes. And I'm pretty, I've gotten to the point where I'm pretty happy with my handcrafted intention oils. I will incorporate planetary days and hours. And so that's a lot of fun. And I've even right. thought of doing like resin art, like plant-based resin art. Oh, but for cool. now, for, <laughs> for now I'm focusing on uh, my reading services. Yeah. Well, and I'm always really fascinated when I meet, you know, other people who are, I always use, I always say that, you know, we use the term a coal and it's such a broad umbrella because it can mean like a hundred different spiritual practices. It essentially means anything not atheist or, or mainstream religion, right? Kind of falls under this broad umbrella to some degree. Um, but I'm always interested to see how people discovered it or, and, and, or came to be interested in magic or witchcraft or things of that nature. That's a long story and it's a weird one. (laughs) So I'll try, I'll try to start at the beginning because uh, the thing that I like about the word occult is it just means hidden. Right. And so for, so for a long time, I've been kind of nervous about revealing some of my weirder UPG, but it's good to start talking about it because I do, you know, want to be clear about why I'm in this space and Mm -hmm. like my intentions and everything and how I got to be here. And it doesn't really make sense unless I, I'm open about my story and where it all started and how it progressed. Um, so I think it started like right when I was entering nursing school. I would have been mm-hmm. 24, I think. I'm 29 now. Um, and it starts off pretty rough, honestly. Mm. Um, I'll also say that I'm in the minority of practitioners that I talk to, that I'm very open about the fact that I've only been practicing for three years now. 
Um, I, I respect that a lot, though, because I think you're right. There's a lot of folks, especially when you get to the online space, that feel like they've got to be experts out the gate. Um, and not that there's a certain amount of time that dictates knowledge, but uh, like I've been practicing with my practice for about a year and a half consistently, you oh, know, wow. you know, I, I have a long journey of very, you know, we're raised Catholic, went non-denominational, went non-Christian entirely, learned, read, at least read about Buddhism, tried to get into witchcraft, but I really didn't understand it because it's so vast. And then eventually I, I round myself into ceremonial magic um, and I make no illusions about being, you know, some like 20 year practitioner, because I, I think there's value in people um, relating to folks who are, you know, earlier in their path. Figuring right? it out, right? Yeah, exactly. So you can relate to those folks. Yeah. And I think like more people are being a little bit more transparent about the fact that their paths have been quite eclectic and winding. I guess if you go back even further before I started getting interested in anything related to the occult or witchcraft, I would have, I was, I was studying Buddhism since I was 18, hmm. basically like my first year, my first year of college, I took an Eastern religious studies class um, where I learned about Buddhism, Jainism, and Hinduism. Mm -hmm. And um, I also had a friend at the time who I really respected who was, uh, who practiced meditation. So I started practicing meditation then as well. And um, I don't know if I ever could have called myself fully a Buddhist. Uh, mm -hmm. I definitely, you know, I, I was studying the, um, the Eightfold Path and I would you know, try and meditate, um, you know, three to five times a week, if not daily. Um, and so I took it fairly seriously, but um, I, I never connected to a Sangha, right. which is, uh, you know, a core, one of the three jewels, a core component of actually being a Buddhist. Um, Do you feel like maybe... Because I've heard um, <clears throat> Damien Eccles talk about when he was a Zen Buddhist, feeling like because the iconography um, and the traditions of the East are generally speaking fairly different from our traditions and norms of the West, that the, that some of that just cultural impasse is sometimes difficult to get beyond. Well. Yes, I think it's kind of twofold there in that um, the ways that these traditions get kind of watered down and translated into our culture uh, can come across as like intensely nihilistic. Mm. Um, and I think that was amplified by the fact that, you know, I couldn't I couldn't really f find um, local people to to connect to mm -hmm. which was like you know kind of partially a problem of you know social anxiety and being a sheltered homeschooled former formerly homeschooled person and putting myself out there and also like there's just you know i i just i'm just not sure that there's a whole lot in terms of like an authentic connection there but either way my my personal experience was uh very very isolating and uh, it, it kind of took me further and further down, like a sort of like bleak and depressed path. 
<laughs> which a lot of us experience unfortunately that's a that's a real reality that i i i fear is becoming more and more common yeah and i think it like i think it kind of leads to like why i'm in this you know like what i find meaningful about being you know in the occult communities is that um you know i was i was alone on this path for so long Mm-hmm. and um i think a lot of people like need spaces that are you know safe and right. inclusive where they can feel comfortable coming forward and like expressing themselves and talking about the experiences that they're having on these spiritual paths because there aren't really western paradigms for processing this stuff like our mm-hmm. culture is I think our culture is very, very bad about um, giving people tools to, to process spiritual experiences mm-hmm. that aren't like pathologizing. Um, if they're outside, like a, you know, a, a major, like one of the three major religions. Right. Yeah. I, I think, um, and I think, I mean, I can't speak for Candace, but I'm sure it's similar. I think that in America, the, 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 dominant religion is consumerism um and and not only i mean there's issues there alone but but what it trains us to do is that everything is transactional you if you need something you buy it and then you have it and that's it right but uh most spiritual paths aren't that clean you don't just suddenly become something and then everything is resolved it's a long often difficult often harrowing experience from time to time and we're we're living in a culture where there's every because everything is so transactional that there's no space for that that nuance and that and and wonder to be examined yeah you're not wrong um i wouldn't say that it's way different here we're we're very culturally similar in a lot of ways um and i think i i think that's part of why you know you know part of my isolation was uh being homeschooled until I was 18 years old and, Mm -hmm. you know, having, being neurodivergent, although I wouldn't know, I I wouldn't have that language or the tools to talk about being neurodivergent until I was about maybe like 20, I think 26 is when I got diagnosed with ADHD plus, Mm -hmm. plus some other stuff. Um, So, you know, when you're an adult and you've, uh, I moved out at 22. Mm-hmm. And so I had, you know, some weird baggage, some family trauma and, so uh, and a very, what I call an atypical upbringing, but people kind of don't want to hear about that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of like, you know, we're, you, you know, we're all adults. We're doing capitalism now, like, you know, suck it up and get over it. <laughs> that, that rugged individualism. Yeah, and it's still it's still kind of difficult to talk about. There's still that voice in the back of my head saying like, "Shut up, you whiner!" Like that's in the past. Like just get over it. Like we all have our issues. We all have our trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's very important to be able to process that in your own unique way. And the path of spirituality has actually really, really helped me with that. It's really helped me come into my own sense of self and you know getting from point a to point b to where i am now do you did you feel when you sort of um 
you spent years studying Buddhism and, and maybe you, I'm, I'm sure you've got something from that, but not enough to actively call yourself a Buddhist and then transitioning or incorporating more uh, pagan ritual into your spirituality. Did you notice a significant change in your ability to process some of these things? Was it more, did it resonate more deeply with you in any regard? Um, I definitely think, um, it, it helped, it helped, it definitely helped me get into a healthier place. I kind of feel like, um, like the way that Buddhism is processed in our culture is just kind of like, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very much about letting go of this life and achieving, uh, you know, us you know, transcendence and learning not to cling to things. And I think that's very, very valuable in and of itself. But I was, you know, I was trying to get from point, I was, I, I felt like I was skipping something along the way because mm-hmm. I had been living a life until I moved out of my parents' house that wasn't really mine. Mm-hmm. And I felt very detached from that. So I never was living fully in my body or embracing this life. So to skip straight from that to, um, you know, trying to let go of everything just left me very empty. Mm. And, and what was the initial, when was the moment where you, you're studying Buddhism and then you're introduced to uh, more witchcraft? That, what, at what point did that occur? Or was it like a slow... So my introduction, my introduction starts off pretty dark. I was 24 and I had just broken up with my long-term boyfriend who I'd been Mm -hmm. with for two and a half years, still the longest relationship of my life to date. Mm -hmm. Um, We had been long distance for two years. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm talking other side of the planet. I've been there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, my wife's really? Australian. Yeah, yeah, Jess is Australian. So for um, we've been together three and a half years now, and uh, I mean, when I met her, she was visiting. In fact, the friend that's visiting me today that that was the friend that introduced us, and she was visiting her. And so you know, we met over a couple of weeks, and and we fell for each other. And then uh, she went back to Australia, and I went to visit. I guess like four months later for a couple of weeks, and then she came for three months to stay here, and then. Um, we went probably six months and then we met in Europe and then, and then COVID happened and we went in an entire year, uh, before she moved here finally. So the, the, I mean, really truthfully, almost the entirety of our relationship leading up to our marriage was long distance. Wow. It's tough, isn't it? It is like being, being separate for that long and only being, being able to see somebody on a screen. It is bleak. (laughs) Yeah. And, and like we, I mean, at least I'm, I'm quick to bemoan technology and some of the changes that it's made in the world for the negative, but you know, it's, it's things like that, that, you know, you're right. It's not fun. It's hard. In fact, it's isolating in a way because you have this emotional connection with someone, but you can't physically be in the same space. Right. Um, But on the flip side, it is a, it is some sort of lifeline that is able to help you maintain that connection on some level until you hopefully can be in the same physical area. Mm. Well, I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad it worked out for you guys for sure. Um, my ex was actually a New Zealander. He was mm. a Kiwi. 
Um, that relationship, it had its upsides and its downsides. It had more downsides than upsides, and I'm not really going to talk about that too much. But it ended, I, at one point I thought I was going to marry this guy. It ended um, after he, we had like a, it was basically like a trial living period together mm. for about three months, and uh, it didn't work out. We discovered weird, I I had honestly been ignoring a lot of incompatibilities between us for so long, but you know, when your parents sort of model a destructive right. uh, relationship for you, you have a bad sense of who's good and bad for you. Um, of course. So he went home. Uh, I immediately, you know, started like fired up the dating apps again. Uh, I got date raped by oh. a guy that I'd been seeing for a couple months. And I'm so sorry. I acquired PTSD uh, and I started smoking an absolute fuckload of weed. <laughs> <laughs> and that was only a few months before my two year nursing program right. was about to start. I was working as a caregiver with a private nursing agency, which, mm -hmm. um, you know, was a good job in spite of the fact that I eventually, I did eventually burn out on that. I can imagine. Um, I, I have very limited experience in hospitals, but briefly when I was young, I, I um, worked in the ICU units stocking their supplies, <clears throat> obviously not giving care, but the, the environment of, of hospital work is, is beyond the, 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 what the job entails. It's, it's a, it's a hard place to work. It's, it's yeah. taxing. Yeah, and I was even, I was even sheltered from the 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 pressures of working in like a hospital environment or a group home environment specifically because I was I was giving one on one care. I did mm. I did have that job for five years. I think I would have that so that would have been the between the ages of like twenty two and twenty seven. Oh gosh, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I did like. I did eventually. Sorry, my chair's noisy. <laughs> That's okay. I did eventually like burn out on the whole thing because, in spite of the fact that I had, um, I had you know PTSD and like became severely dependent on marijuana, and was also, you know, somehow didn't even realize until like years later that I was also managing a chronic condition at the same time. Mm. So was, was I, the was the weed part of that? Man, you know, subconsciously I think managing so. it. Like in like in hindsight, um, like this was this was even before marijuana was legal in Canada, right? So um, I actually went through like a brief period of like basically alcoholism, but I didn't mm -hmm. think of it that way because I was in like my early twenties, and nobody thinks that they have a problem in their early twenties, right? But I was just it's, it's almost encouraged. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was just like, I'm just like, you know, I'm an introvert. I just like to go home from work and drink every single night right. <laughs> and didn't realize that was like an unhealthy uh, stress coping mechanism. But I switched over to marijuana because it was it was easier on my body. But mm -hmm. um, the reason that why people with PTSD so often like turn to marijuana is because PTSD does something to your central nervous system. It like ramps mm. you up and puts you in this constant state of hypervigilance. Mm. And um, a lot of times marijuana is like one of the only things that will help bring you back down and allow yeah. you to sleep because um, PTSD comes with 
nightmares. Yeah, I, I'm relating to everything you're saying. Mm. I recently, I, I went a number of years. I, I, again, I don't know that I would consider myself having had a drinking problem, but I definitely went through a phase in my late 20s bleeding into my early 30s where same thing. I, I, I'm, I, I can be social, but I like to be at home. And mm. I'd come home every day and I'd pour a scotch and then a second scotch and maybe a third scotch. And I, you know, I was doing stuff while I was drinking, right? I wasn't just sitting wallowing, but I, you know, I'd right. edit or whatever, but um, you're right. It has a physical toll on your body. Yeah. You're tired all the time and dehydrates you and what have you. And so, um, you know, I, I switched from that to working out pretty obsessively for a number of years in my mid thirties. And then when I went through my divorce, I kind of broke from that. And when the, when the, specifically when the pandemic hit, I, I switched to cannabis as well. And same thing. I can't sleep almost without it, you know? Um, and it does help me unwind at the end of the night because my brain, as you said, is hypervigilant. It's constantly mm. like a, like a gerbil on a wheel. And, uh, I've tried everything else, melatonin and, and, and cannabis does seem to be the thing that helps me the most with unwinding and getting relaxed and being able to actually get some decent rest at night. Uh, but, but I'm, but everything that you're saying is hitting me kind of hard. I'm like, Oh geez, that is very much me. Yeah. Yeah. And when you, you know, the, this is why it's so important to be able to have, like have communities where you can come out and discuss these experiences because it feels like, feels like shit it feels so isolating when you're going through it. And then, yeah. you know, you, you kind of, get past the you know the the layers of trauma and the trust issues and you start coming out and talking to other people and they're like yeah i went through that too um right and it's like shit but anyways i i i attribute the weed to why i started i started getting interested in a lot of things that had never interested me before mm. like i got uh interested in like um different types of um chanting and uh <laughs> incense and uh crystals and like i don't know i i'm very transparent about this i'm very much a trash pagan <laughs> i'm a crow i will pick through whatever looks interesting to me and pick up the shiny bits and play with them for a while well i think that's important to testing out uh, and i apologize sophie my dog has made her way into the room um I think it's important to, to try those things out, right? To see what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Um, I don't know that any one system is going to be a perfect fit off the rack, so to speak. So, you know, sort of shifting through various aspects of different practices to find the things that work to you, I think is an important part of the, the journey. That, and again, yeah. I don't know that we talk about it much, right? Yeah, yeah, I think... Like, again, I think a lot of people are secretly like that. We like we live like we live in the 21st century and there's lots of shiny things available to us to pick up and try. Mm -hmm. So my like, obviously, my sense of time becomes very distorted mm -hmm. with how much like the sheer amount of pot I was smoking. I, right. couldn't, I, could, I couldn't leave my house without smoking weed. I couldn't wake up without smoking weed. Mm. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I think somewhere in there, like the beginning of that journey, I might have been researching stuff about various deities uh -huh. and, um, 
I, you know, I went to bed and I had this dream, which punched through the normal thing that marijuana does, which is mm -hmm. uh, suppress dreams. And it was just a crow, like very creepy, like close up, like views of um, this very knowing crow. And I think it might have had a third eye. Mm. For some reason, this dream like absolutely terrified me. I woke up and I ran from my bed and wow. I thought to myself, no, there's no way that I'm going to deal with this right now. I have too much going on. Like I'm just, I'm traumatized and um, all, you know, I've, I've got to prepare for nursing school and all this shit. And there's just no way that I'm going to deal with this right now. And then I thought she's going to be really pissed off at me. And then I was like, wait, she who? <laughs> who am i thinking of right who am i referring to i didn't know consciously like i didn't know at the time i just knew that somebody was going to be pissed off at me hmm. and so it took me about a year to figure out that that was the morgan wow <laughs> and, and it's really interesting because i find that um as i've started using cannabis regularly it it does well that now explains why i haven't had dreams in a long time makes sense i didn't know that before so thank you for that but mm -hmm. But in my, uh, I, so I use cannabis in two different ways. So um, if I do my ritual work at night, I generally will incorporate cannabis in it. If I do it during the daytime, I don't. I, I can only really smoke at night because I'm like those old drug PSAs where like once you smoke, you're like melted mm -hmm. into the couch. That's me. Not very functional. But um, but there is a, aside from quieting the static, and maybe that is significant in and of itself, it does feel like it It not only quiets it, but it, it opens me to new experiences. Um, you know, I'm reading this book called Sex, Drugs, and Magic by Robert Anton Wilson, and he talks about programming and how oftentimes we can subconsciously program ourselves as we're entering the high to receive things that we might not otherwise um, and, and maybe whether you were conscious or not, or maybe, uh, maybe the deity had something, some influence on it. It does feel like perhaps you were being, um, opened up to receive information that subconsciously you weren't even realizing you were looking for. Well, it is a very, it's a shortcut to induce gnosis mm -hmm. basically, which is the word that I've heard used to refer to, you know, various types of trance states that. Mm -hmm. like i will say i think that my time in buddhism the real benefit to me that i carried forward into my practice of witchcraft was uh the ability to control my mind in that way and drop in and mm -hmm. out of tr trance states that's um, amazing and i think that's like I think that's why I ha started having these experiences very quickly and I was able to get like results very quickly when I started mm -hmm. practicing magic is because I had that background in mind training. But yeah, cannabis. Um, the So one of the... <laughs> One of the words that the Gnostics use to refer to the demiurge mm. is uh, Knobus. Ah, uh, C-T-H-N-O-U-B-I-S. And if you look at like some of the 
um, depictions of the demiurge that has, you know, the uh, the lion with the snake's tail, and uh-huh. he's got sort of this like mane that's like sticking out. Mm-hmm. Uh, like if you look at it while you're high, you're like, shit, he <laughs> looks like a cannabis plant. <laughs> <laughs> And I would, I would imagine that there's probably a strong connection there. Uh, yeah, this is what led me to, to conclude that the Gnostics were high as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> because this, you know, the plan has been all over the world. Right. Yeah. It's it's like it's on every continent except Antarctica. There was a um, there was a story I was reading about. I forget the the warlord's name. I don't think it, I'm not sure it was Hannibal, but there was a there was a Middle Eastern uh, conqueror who um, one of the ways that he was able to get his, his followers to be so um, dedicated to the cause is that they would have these, um, these huge banquets where there'd be drink and and some form of hashish and um, and frankly prostitutes. And they would have these, these big sort of sex parties, so to speak um, <laughs> while high off their ass. Right. And, <laughs> And from that, they they were able to glimpse what they perceived as heaven, and so when this conqueror says, "Follow me, and I will, I will guarantee your your entry to heaven," and they've had this experience, right, that is as close to heaven as they could understand in the earthly world, it made them believe wholeheartedly that what they were doing was righteous, and that he'd given them a hint of what heaven is like, and they wanted more of that. It's a very opening drug it's a very opening plant it opens you so do you when when you're smoking is it something that you incorporate into your ritual work or is it just sort of a a lifestyle thing or both yeah it's it's definitely both um i you know i sort of have phases where i'm on and off with it because just because i want to prove to myself that i don't need to i don't need to rely on anything same reason that i'm not using caffeine right now plus mm-hmm. like everything has its upsides and downsides you know everything everything has its its phases um i i definitely have incorporated it into rituals mm-hmm. and um between the cannabis and the five pointed the five po- the pentacle and the candles and the incense is just like bam i can drop yeah. into that state straight away and what i'm finding more and more is um my relationship with my patron deity mm-hmm. the morgan uh it seems to be i didn't i didn't intend to have it this way to start out with but it seems to be that um part of our deal is that um when she needs me to do witchcraft she needs me to do it now so mm. I will get an inkling that I need to perform a spell when I'm out shopping and get home and realize that I just arrived home at the exact planetary hour that I need to do that. So oh. I need to be ready like right then. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. And then other times I'll just, you know, spend an hour or so at my altar, like sitting and meditating, and making offerings and whatever, right? It's a, it's amazing when you can form those links to higher powers and and how they guide you and what they reveal to you um, when you come out of those states. And, and what I'm finding, <clears throat> having been at this about half the time that you have, is that I don't 
I'm less and less feeling like I'm leaving that state. If that makes sense. Like yeah. that state of conscious kind of follows me throughout the day. You know, like this morning I went and did my ritual work and it's not like I'm high. Cause I can, I, my verbal skills drop considerably when I'm high. Um, but I feel that that sense of serenity yeah. that comes from that. And it, and it really does last the, practically the whole day. Um, and it's just, inf- it's just changing the way I'm viewing the world just by re- doing these, these ritual workings with consistency yeah it's like some people call it self-hypnosis but that's actually it's also a goal of um tantric practice Hmm. to sort of wed those um states where you feel in touch with your higher power or your higher self or however you want to conceive of that with Mm -hmm. your everyday life Um, no with your and, patron entity, did you feel like, obviously they, they reached out to you first, um, but it took a while for you to sort of respond. Yeah. And um, she has a reputation for this, <laughs> that if she, if she, if she gets her, if she sinks her claws into you and you like, don't know in my case i just didn't know what i was doing like 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 full disclosure like i had i I went through a phase where i had problems sorting out whether it was hecate Mm. or the morgan which i'm actually told is fairly common and in the process of like you know trying to figure it out i went in i went to a graveyard in the middle in the middle of the night um, on a full moon, like right before Halloween, and made some of my first offerings. Like I, I offered to the spirits of the graveyard, and I, and I basically said, you know, whatever deity like wants me, like have at it. And I mm-hmm. actually got Hecate's attention that way, even mm-hmm. though she wasn't the one who initially reached out to me. Um, <laughs> so it's like, like you know the the proof of concept if you do something big like that like looking to get an entity's attention it will happen they will they will they will respond to that um so that relationship with hecate wasn't really panning out like it Mm -hmm. didn't it didn't really feel right even though it went on for a couple months and um i kind of fucked that up a little bit honestly like (laughs) I, i i i had some divine punishment um extracted let's just put it that way because i fucked up how i ended that relationship but i did i did figure out eventually that it was the morrigan um and it's difficult to explain some of the intense states and thoughts and feelings that i had now i'm not even Mm -hmm. sure that we're gonna get to all of it honestly but like we'll start with okay so i had this thing Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had this on and off thing with this guy who was this Irish immigrant for about eight or nine months there. Mm-hmm. And um, it was almost like we were playing a game. And okay. then I would, and our, our encounters with each other would be very like short and sporadic. Mm-hmm. And in hindsight, it became clear to me that we had found each other because we were in similar head states. We were both suffering PTSD he had broken out with his Irish ex who had pulled a knife on him and 
um, very messy sort of stuff. But I looked back on some of those experiences and only realized later that we had um, essentially unintentionally reenacted certain scenes from Irish Celtic myth. Oh, wow. When did, when I mean, obviously, you, you probably weren't conscious of it at the time, but when did that realization sort of dawn on you? No, it was when it was when I was actually doing re- more research on the Morrigan and mm-hmm. like going through and reading the myths, which is like, you know, reading is difficult for me because of my ADHD. But I'm reading this stuff about her, like offering him three sips of milk um in order to heal her and him saying this certain specific phrase like if i had known that it was you i i never would have helped you i was like what the hell (laughs) (laughs) was it almost jarring yeah i i was going nuts steve like straight up (laughs) i just thought i was like going straight like straight bonkers Mm. there there are no words for this type of experience like and i would be doing like you know all sorts of all all sorts of like the regular type of shit in the meantime like asking for certain symbols and getting them um and i don't know it's been it's been a really wild experience like at the i think i think it was a year that she gave me to figure it out Mm -hmm. and i but i had to be sure like i i don't i think part of what i was doing was trying to heal like some sort of attachment or abandonment complex Mm. and like you know because this this deity has a reputation for like um if 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 she wants you to be devoted to her then she'll really go after you but if she doesn't, then she'll have nothing to do with you. And Mm. like, okay, I really need to be sure. And I was putting like a degree of conditionality on it. Like I was, Mm -hmm. I was putting a sort certain pressure on it that um, isn't really like appropriate for a spiritual connection. I'm just like, I have to know, I have to be really sure. And, um, I guess it was, I guess it was near the end of this year long trajectory when I was um, doing one of my nursing clinicals and um, we had a really bad winter here in Calgary Mm -hmm. where, uh, and so my, my condition naturally like gets worse in the winter because of how dry it is. Um, So I had opened the um, furnace vent above my bed in this very shitty, like, 100-year-old house I was staying in. And there were all kinds of other things going on with this house that were not mundane. Like, I'm pretty sure it was haunted at one point, like, salt shakers flying off uh, the stove in the middle of the night when it's all otherwise, like, completely still and quiet. Like, see it, like, going to the bathroom and, like, seeing a face, like, all that kind of shit. Um, so I was, I was in like this hundred year old haunted house essentially. (laughs) Um, and I started developing this rash. Hmm. Um, and it took about like, I forget if it was one, one month or two months, but it was slowly spreading. And at first I kind of played it off. Like it was just like my normal condition acting up because Mm -hmm. 
you gotta understand I've been dealing with this on and off for years now and so I I know that like doctors can only help me so much with it so I'm hesitant to like interrupt my life to go to a doctor and figure out what's going on and this this thing is slowly like not getting better this rash is slowly spreading over my face I'm using my normal like allergy and eczema medications but it's not helping and also the major red flag is that it's getting worse even though I'm at night when I'm going to sleep when it's supposed to get better because when you sleep is when your body heals itself right that's when it'll calm usually calm down that kind of inflammation um but this was when I think this was when I was in the worst of my denial over what I was actually experiencing in terms of my mental and physical health and my fitness to continue to work and support myself while going to nursing school, mm-hmm. like just a tremendous amount of pressure that, that I was putting on myself to do all these things and to be all of these things for everybody right. um, out of, I don't know, like both pride, not wanting to go back to living with my parents uh, wanting to be educated and make enough money to support myself and like for the good of humanity right, <laughs> right? I couldn't think of I, I you know I, I held myself to this standard like I have to be doing something good with my life for humanity on top of all this other stuff so I think this was to me this is like the peak of burnout and what it looks like to be in denial about like what you can and cannot do. And I really, I think that this is why this deity chose me in particular. Like this seems to be a commonality among other people that I've talked to who have these experiences of the Morgan is that they're very hard on themselves Mm -hmm. and they struggle with like PTSD and burnout. So where was I? So yeah, this rash slowly spreads and spreads and spreads across my face as the people around me are becoming more and more alarmed. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's and, frightening. Yeah, and I'm going and it's making it's it's making me agitated. It's the thing I'm not sure people realize about my condition is like when you when you're itchy and you've got parts of your body that are inflamed, you're agitated. You're not like a nice person to be around. Oh, and of course. It's, I like, had, it's like the pebble in your shoe. It just grates on you. And I was going through like these intense, these intense nightmares. And I was taking, probably taking more of my allergy medication than I should have and having these weird side effects and still smoking weed because I was terribly traumatized, terribly triggered this entire time. Um, and then in the background, I had people gang stalking me essentially i was Mm. like my only form of community at that time was a an internet group that i had been a part of on and off for like eight or nine years or something ridiculous like that who you know i was essentially trauma bonded to and didn't realize like how like just how much bullying and how much like um absolutely like insane um behavior was completely normalized in that group and I certainly wasn't innocent, so I guess when the time came around back to me that I was having a hard time and, you know, lashing out at people, and mm-hmm. um, it, it was just time for them to take, to take their revenge, essentially, or 
more like I became an easy target because I had all this stuff going on. This wasn't right. like this wasn't like a source of something to sympathize over for them. Um, sure. and this was something to, you know, dig in deeper because I guess like I, you know, in my in my pride in in trying to be like hard. <laughs> I I was continuing continuing to signal that like I was I was okay. Well, I think some at times I might have felt like I was okay. I think that right. I had a very strange and unusual interaction of physical and mental symptoms that mm-hmm. that cycled through a lot of things. Like you might call it mania or you might call it psychosis, but I don't think that I had a good perspective. <laughs> on where I was at at that time and um I think I think it was I I think in particular like the paranoia that accompanies PTSD is what made it really really funny to them to come and you know follow me across multiple platforms and uh well one thing I mean if we look at if we look at the way animals act in nature um especially pack animals they will often they'll often again consciously or unconsciously seek out those who are um you know in the in the animal kingdom injured or or older or um and in in our human wildlife those who are going through hard times are oftentimes the the folks that that will be targeted and will be sort of ganged up on um which seems contradictory right like if you're gonna start a fight with someone start a fight with someone bigger than you or your size so to speak um, but it's oftentimes those who are going through the roughest time who are the most vulnerable, which are yeah. the ones that seem to always be on the receiving end of the jackal's attack. Yeah. And I honestly still kind of like still kind of get in my head about this and lack perspective on it. But I, because like I'm, I'm, it was informed afterwards, like, like so many people in this group loved you. Like, like it was, it's really weird. Um, there's, there's one book that has enlightened me a lot since all of this happened which is the the it's called the empath and the archetypal drama triangle and mm. it's by elaine lajui um and it's just been a really good book for like helping me figure out like those what those power dynamics are and why they switch mm-hmm. um so i essentially i thought of myself as a rescuer um mm. most of my life i've been the rescuer and there's types of dynamics but the thing is is that if you're a rescuer among a group of people who resent resent the idea that you have that you need to rescue them or they just think that you're not a good enough rescuer, they will turn on you and they will become the bullies and then you become the victims. Right. Um, and really, like, the solution, and I don't talk to any of these people. I have blocked them all. I have scrubbed my contacts. That's why I don't go by my real name here. Um really you just have to leave those situations sometimes entirely and seek out better things for yourself. I, I agree. I, um, I had a conversation yesterday where, where we talked a little bit about some, especially, especially as it relates to online, I think it's, it's more prevalent. I feel like it's a little bit harder to, it was, I definitely feel like it's hard to gang up on someone in person and not that it doesn't happen. It certainly does, but I think there's something intrinsically built into social media and the anonymity that comes with that, that allows it to flourish, that sort of dogpiling. Yeah, um, yeah. There's definitely, I think you definitely hit on it earlier. There's like an instinct 
there's like a pack instinct and we don't we're not super conscious of it but social media does do a great job of like manipulating our instincts and we can think like we can consciously think that we're in the right that we're that we're like righteous for mm-hmm. ganging up and crit or going after this person or that we're just you know leveraging normal criticism right um when in reality it's actually coming from a very ugly sort of place yeah i was talking you know yesterday when i was talking to some of my my friends and my wife we were talking about that that very thing and i i where i grew up there's a lot of gangs in south texas i mean my school is probably 50 percent of the population was in the bloods and um i was at one of the nicer schools so that kind of gives you a context of the of of my the hometown that i grew up in um but because i grew up in an environment where a lot of folks that i knew growing up when i was younger joined gangs and i could sort of see the pattern of what that type of person is it is oftentimes someone who is looking for validation of some sort and they find that validation within the within the dynamics of a group and in order to maintain the sort of so maybe the wrong word but the integrity of the group to maintain the the status of the group it must constantly uh, have a, a foe, have a boogeyman, have an enemy that it, that that strengthens yeah. it. The, because oftentimes the bonds are superficial, but but it still held, holds together by making uh, either an issue or a person um, the 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 banner by which everyone follows underneath. Yeah. And it's it's always perpetuating because the moment you remove that source of strife, you'll oftentimes find that the group dynamic isn't that strong to begin with. Oh um, yeah, all these people then, fucking hated each other. Yeah, of course, <laughs> like so course. much. It's like I found I found myself the mediator for like a lot of like gossip and resentment, and this is like on the absolute opposite side of the spectrum. These are like these were like spoiled office culture people, yeah. but from extremely like traumatizing families, like extremely abusive families, like who had you know grown up to find success and. Like, oh, like, like some of like, oh, I'm not even, I'm not going to disclose too many details, but some of these people were very successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and they participated in this kind of thing. So, yeah, because even, you know, monetary success or mundane, you know, material success is certainly useful and helpful. But if you're still, if you still have unresolved traumas that you're not diving into and, and making peace with, or at least coming to understand them, then, then I, what I, again, in my experience, what I've seen is that a lot of folks will um, get resentful almost at their success, mm-hmm. uh, you know, resentful at the world. I, I'll, I'll give it a quick example for myself. At one point, um, as a, and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, sometime within the last four years or so, I came to the realization that as, as a, that I as myself and I think others particularly men tend to validate themselves on their sexual prowess um, which is not well understood and oftentimes leads to uh, you know the the womanizing and the whatever it may be right it leads to bad habits in general Um, Mm -hmm. but for me what I would find is I'd feel very down on myself if I didn't feel like I was enticing to my partner whoever that might be and at one point in my previous marriage I was in like amazing shape I had you know, I was doing really well financially. Um, I had, you know, on paper, I could list all these accomplishments that should make me feel 
you know, as the ideal partner. And yet the, the marriage had problems, significant problems that ultimately end, you know, ended the marriage. And so um, I came to realize that that those things don't really matter if you haven't resolved what's going on inside. Right. And, and it really took me coming to that understanding that I am worth more than my ability to please someone else. Um, and it wasn't just like in the physical com- component, but like even I think I have a little bit of what you talked about earlier, that sort of healer or that Superman complex where you're mm, constantly rescuer, trying to save yeah. the rescuer. Yeah, um, because by rescuing others, you're, you don't have you're bringing to rescue yourself. <clears throat> exactly. You're bringing someone else satisfaction that gives you a momentary high. But then again, just like with the, the, the gang mentality that need to tear things down. There's also the, the opposite side of that coin, whereas you're constantly needing to build other people up to feed off their success, to validate yourself rather than being valid just by your existence. Yeah. Yeah. You really, I think that really sums it up. Um, yeah. And, you know, even for myself, like while all this was going on, I was probably like probably in the best shape of my life. I mm-hmm. was, you know, lift like lifting weights regularly which I've just gotten back into now that um, our COVID restrictions are letting up and I've got my mm-hmm. vaccine. Um, and I was, I was probably, I was the thinnest that I've been during my adult life, which is, mm-hmm. you know, body image issues and thinness is something that I struggle with mm-hmm. um, because, because I was abusing pseudoephedrine, <laughs> which is an allergy, which is a decongestant is an allergy medication. I didn't have to, uh, I got to the point where I didn't feel like eating like at all. Um, wow but it didn't it wasn't it wasn't helping what was going on inside like like that's that's the crazy thing about body image issues is it doesn't really matter what is actually going on with your physical body because it's it stems from something that's you know internal yeah absolutely i think that i think that is where um spirituality came in because i was i was doing everything else i was supposed to do like i was in and out of therapy like Mm -hmm. intermittently um you know working hard to find a therapist that see that that could that fit me basically that could actually help me with some of the stuff that was going on well you know obviously not having the income to go and pay for like the really good stuff um And meanwhile, like still allowing myself to be surrounded by these people who were like berating me and acting like any failure to get better or improve myself was like a a sign of an inherent, like some sort of inherent personal failure that's never Mm. going to get better because that was, that was basically like the cult mentality and how they define themselves. Like we're never going to get better. We Mm. are permanently damaged. And they were all atheists, and they I think they also really resented the fact that I was artistic. Mm-hmm. Like, none of them were particularly artistically expressive. Um, and I've just become more and more so um, as I've gotten further down my path. I think, yeah, art is something that is really important to me. And um, since, since I realized I'm not really suited for nursing... <laughs> I, I think that living an artistically expressive life is, is, is worthy in and of itself because to me, art is something along with spirituality that like art, our, you know, our, our capitalist culture, our late stage capitalist culture tends to 
but it tends to devalue. Um, like it's it's treated like it's something frivolous or like a luxury, or an expression of, or somebody who wants to be an artist is an expression of their personal narcissism. You know, you must not have anything better to do with your life if you're just sitting around and like play like doing doing artistic stuff or writing poetry or you know whereas whereas to me it's quite the opposite like art is uh like art art can be of service to other people like art artistic expression is um you know it's it's how we process stuff it's how we learn to think about our problems in different ways to come up with different solutions, like to heal ourselves, to change ourselves, to, yeah. you know, bring ourselves hope, to step into different roles in our lives. Like art is maybe one of the last chances that we have to really change things. I agree. And you you touched on two things that I think are solely missing um, on a widespread level in our society. And and that is, you know, to your point, that entire group you are a part of were predominantly atheists. And, you know, fair play to anyone's beliefs. But I I do, what I found is that the more we've removed some form, any form, frankly, of spirituality from our lives as a community – we're we're denying ourselves something that we do sort of need um that again i'm not saying you have to be a christian or a witch or a magician or anything like that but but to remove that that level of spirituality entirely from your life feels like removing the enchantment of what life is from your life and um i i think that while therapy is amazing and um and support groups are amazing and all the other things that society presents to us as suitable uh, treatments for these internal traumas that we deal with, which all of us have to some degree or another. I think it's, we're, we're kind of doing ourselves a disservice removing the spiritual aspect of it, because I think answering the question of who we are and what is our place in the universe is, is deeply rooted in our ability to grow as human beings. And then, and then on top of that, I think, you're dead on with your point about art, which is an art creation, which is that the further we get down the path of this utilitarian lifestyle where it's, you get up in the morning and you have your two cups of coffee so that you're properly drugged enough to go do work, <laughs> sitting in some place for eight hours, um, working through your lunch break, sitting at an hour home, uh, transmute, you know, in traffic, you know, like that's not a, that's not a life that anyone should really aspire to. I don't think the great thinkers of the past ever aspired to working, you know, nine to five job doing something for someone else. Um, and, and, and to, to add to that, very few people even get to do that with something they love, right? Most people just take jobs because they got to pay bills. There's no shame in that, but it's also not quite very fulfilling. And, you know, when you remove this sense of spirituality and this, and this, the, the motivation and the, and the, um, um, the support to create art, you're really doing oneself a disservice. And that's when I find that people get really caught up in stuff that doesn't matter so much, like mm. like fame, the chasing of fame or money or um, gathering partners like their Pokemon or whatever <laughs> yeah. it may be, right? Like <laughs> like yeah. we, we do these things to satisfy this, this urge within us 
that is not being satisfied. And, and I think that you 100% hit it on the head with the fact that those two things, some form of spirituality and some form of art creation are inherently necessary for every person to get the whole experience of being human. Yeah. Yeah, very much. And, and not for nothing, but I really appreciate the art that you put out. Um, you're an, a very excellent poet. And I love that you do poetry because I feel like, you know, there's still people who write. Um, and certainly in the occult sphere, like there's a lot of writers. But I, it seems, unfortunately, to be something that's going the way of the buffalo. This idea of poetry and, and expressing yourself within that st structure of writing. Oh. Thank you so much, Dave. I'm going to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the compliment and not be worried about it because it's, oh, <laughs> please it's, do. It's so, it's so, it means so much to me to hear that it means something to other people. What yeah. I'm doing and like, I very, I very much agree. Um, I made a conscious decision about what my path in this space is going to look like, which is. Um, the stuff that I'm doing has to be worth it for its own sake. Mm. Like, even if it's not getting a lot of clicks and views or feedback, um, I have to trust that it's reaching the right people. And right. that, like, even if nobody looks at it, even if, even if people think it's bad, even if nobody cares, it has to be worth doing on its own. And I think, I, f I, f I feel that because, um, Poetry isn't something that I'm, I was naturally good at. <laughs> poetry was a gift. Hmm. Like, I guess I experimented with it a little bit in high school and never found that I was very good at it or whatever. But um, during this period where the rash was spreading all over my face for like a couple months and, oh God, I guess that was 2019 now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would have been 2019 where I was like, I had the rash and I was completely losing it. By the way, that ended with um, the rash spread all over my face, except for a patch in the middle of my forehead that looked wow. like the shape of a bird with its wings out outstretched. Wow. Uh, I looked in the mirror and I was like, this is it. You've completely lost it. <laughs> was it, was, was it a, a, a crow shape? Was it a crow bird? It was, it, it, it was a fucking crow, yeah. <laughs> like what else is it gonna be right like right. this like i've i'm i've gone red I, i'm like i'm looking at myself i'm like i've gone red in the face except for this this this, this shape that looks like a crow <laughs> and i wound up to i was i was in a state of suicidal delirium basically when i wound up taking like four like somewhere between three and five grams of powdered magic mushrooms. And I don't know how much it was exactly, but right. I do know that I got intense visuals and I experienced myself cycling through the Jungian archetypes. And I felt like the machine elves that Terrence Midcana talks about, like went in there and like fixed something that was broken in me. And I had a visual of two intertwining serpents and like I narked on myself and I call it ambulance. <laughs> Wow. I just had it was so much so much stuff happened during that trip but I was a fundamentally changed person when I came out I had two gifts that I hadn't had before one was that I could disengage with stuff that was no longer good for me 
Um, and because I have obsessive compulsive disorder, that was very, very difficult for me to do in the past. Like when something was bothering me or something was, I would go into these obsessive thought spirals and like that I just could not pull myself out of. That was the first gift is that I had an off switch now. I could disengage. The second gift was poetry. And I find still like when I go into, like I, I said, these obsessive thought spirals, like if it gets mm -hmm. really intense, I can sit down and I'll write something and it's less like I'm creating it and more like I'm, you know, chiseling something that's, already fully formed and putting it down mm. on paper it f comes from somewhere that's it's comes from somewhere fully somewhere else like it's it's not even i feel like it's not even mine right that's that's i really like the way you stated that um almost as though if you were to look if you were a sculptor and you were looking at a block of marble the the statue of david is already within there it, you're just uncovering it yeah right yeah, and, and it's and like I'll tweak it a little bit, um, but and my but my my mind tends to work in like chunks. Like there's already something fully formed, and I'm just I, I'm I'm just taking it out. Um, and when I conscious I consciously try and sit down and write poetry, it doesn't work so well. Um, right. uh, I'll get like I'll I'll get like maybe one or two stanzas that I think are pretty good, but for the whole thing like to to rhyme and to have pleasing meter and all the stuff that I look for in my poetry is um, fully comes out of these obsessive thought spirals I guess or these these episodes well and and as traumatic as that sort of experience was from first having contact of De Morgan and then um, sort of not sure if that's what is accurate or real, and then and then dabbling in Hecate and that sort of uh, contest between the two, you know for your for your you know your devotion, and then you know going through the physical issue of the the rash that you described. Um, it in the wake of all of that, it it seems like something that you very much needed, which was the ability to disengage when things are not serving you. And then also to have an outlet to express yourself. I mean, those are amazing gifts to be granted. Um, and, and while the journey for you might've not been pleasant, it does feel like, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, that you've now been given a sword and shield, so to speak, to deal with life. That's a great analogy. I love that. Thank you for that. Of course. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Now, I, I came out of that and I was just like, I, I saw places that my life desperately needed to change. Like that, mm. that was it. That was, that was my wake up call. And I, I tell, I, I tell people that that was my self-initiation experience. Right. Absolutely. I, I, I'm a believer in that self-initiation into a mystery tradition is possible because I can't nod after that. <laughs> Right. I mean, I'm I think they, I think different. they really, really made sure you got the points, uh, whether you wanted to or not. Yeah. And so and so on top of the, the creation of your poetry, which every once in a while, you'll, I'll get an email from your website with the poem. And I'm just like, I remember just the, I guess it was a week, maybe a week ago, the, the last one that came out. Um, and it was just so good. I was like, wow, this is great. This is like <laughs> such a, you know, like 
Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's, it's hard to find that, you know, some, cause sometimes you see poetry, I'm not knocking anyone, but you know, I'll speak for myself. Sometimes I've written stuff that's like emo lyrics, not poetry, you know, mm. um, which, which has its own value. But, but I really feel like uh, the craft of poetry is something that you grasp and understand. And every time I've ever written, I've read anything that you've written, I've always walked away really impressed by it. So, so kudos to you because I think that um, you express yourself extremely well. And, and I feel like the world needs more poetry and more enchantment in it. Um, it's too, it's too boxy right now. It's too concrete. We need to break some of that up and reveal the beach underneath the sidewalk, so to speak. No, thank you so much. It, it really means a lot that like it's, it's, it's doing something for some people. Um, and it's like I said, it's a gift and it's a blessing to be able to bring it into this space. Cause uh, like, I, I gotta be honest, like I haven't, I haven't quote unquote studied poetry. Like mm-hmm. I've, I've read some stuff written by other people, by like friends. And um, when I was in, I guess my self initiation period, I, was really, really into some of the work of Anne Sexton. Mm. So she's a, she's a contemporary of Sylvia Plath. And um, she is of Scottish background. And mm-hmm. she had some pretty severe uh, mental health issues. And she spent her whole life, like, basically in and out of these asylums. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so for her, poetry was a way of staving off her suicidal tendencies um, and her suicidal ideation. And when I go and I look at some of her poetry, like it's so powerful. Like it's so like she deals with these very intense, you can see a lot of Jungian archetypes. Right. Um, One of my favorite like sources of inspiration to this day is uh, a poem called Her Kind. Mm-hmm. which is she's talking about embodying the archetype of the witch as you know this mentally ill woman that people despise mm-hmm. and because i was uh like straight up she was not a good person she did some terrible things to her children i don't think that she thought of herself as a good person i think that she despised herself and i think it's uh like a deep reflection of where I was at in my life that I felt so drawn to her poetry because I really despise myself. I saw myself as the bad guy. Um, But yeah, she's, she's still a major source of inspiration for me and um, spirituality and artistic expression is how I've pulled myself out of that space. Essentially like understanding those, those archetypes and those, those characters that, and, and the, sort of boxes that we paint ourselves into and then empowering myself to paint myself out of that box, like choosing, choosing differently for myself. She's still a major source of inspiration for me, but yeah, aside from that, I just, I haven't studied like a whole ton of poetry. Like this isn't uh, a, like a, like a, um, a learned thing for me. It's, it's very much like, me my playing and expressing myself and sort of pushing myself in the boundaries that I'm comfortable with. Yeah. I mean, it, it very much seems like it's divine given, you know, it is literally a gift from, from whatever the source of, of things of the world are. And, um, and sometimes it only takes one influence. And I, I've generally held that 
there's value some a lot of times there's value from people who aren't great people you know and it doesn't devalue i mean that's kind of a modern thing that i think is sort of more in the zeitgeist these days where in we every every person in particular of the past has to pass a certain purity test by modern standards which i always think is a bad idea um but but there is there are there are people who didn't do great things but their output or even their lives can still be of service to us if we take from it what does serve us and grow upon it right um and i've certainly been in that place as well where i didn't i didn't like myself for long periods of time and and the again like i said earlier the the things that the world gives you just to overcome this like shopping hmm. or you know, uh, whatever, you know, buying, st- accumulating, accumulation go, of go, stuff. Go to the gym and get a hot body. Totally. Right. Yeah, exactly. Get laid. I'll, get laid a yeah. lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And look, I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm not against any of those things. Um, but they can't be the only thing. And there's a, there's a stone type of pilot song I just brought up that has a line that I, um, it always echoed truly for me, uh, especially when I was going through some of my darker periods. Right. And, and the, the verse is, sometimes I think that I can kill the world if just for a day, but I'd just be stuck with myself again, and I don't think I want to be my only friend. And, um, if I mean, if you know anything about the singer for Stone Temple Pilots, he had a very turbulent life. And, you know, that expression of self-loathing really comes out. That's a hard thing to overcome. Um, I think a lot of really creative people tend to grapple with that throughout their lives Uh, and that's why that's why art is so important right so that you can sort of capture those demons you know uh, in amber so to speak and then project them out to the world and it's almost like the the ritual of like burning thoughts that no longer serve you you yeah i mean to like to me spirituality and this sounds like a very clinical dry way to talk about it but it's it's really not when you're experiencing it to me spirituality is the examination of meta patterns Mm. you know the the patterns within patterns that are interwoven throughout art and history and throughout our lives basically is how we make ourselves more conscious and aware like as individuals and as a species like where we are where we're standing how we got here how things are interacting with each other and I think, you know, our, our, our art, our culture, our stories, these, these, these traditional Celtic myths, when you go back and look at them, and from my personal experience, these are how cultures make themselves conscious. These are how cultures mm. talk about the meta patterns that are interwoven throughout them. And when you have a powerful meta pattern that has infected generations and generations of people, that's a deity right yeah um there's a collective it's the 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 thoughts behind it the energy behind it conscious and unconscious they form a a thing a being an egregore so we need so so this is why we need art we need we need those stories even from those people who like now we think of them as villains now we don't now we don't like them because you know we have we and now now like the the urge to erase anything that doesn't fit with contemporary politics or morality is really doing us a disservice it's it 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 blunts our consciousness because we need to 
be conscious. We need to understand what was going on with them and how they got to where they were. We need those stories. Absolutely. Very, very well stated. Um, so let people know if they're interested in your poetry um, or any of the, the which services you offer, like tarot in particular readings, where can they find you? Where can they find your art? I have an interwoven snake nest of <laughs> links. Um, and I'm actually in the process of separating it into different Twitter accounts because I'm realizing that the account that I use for promoting my reading services is like, oh, like the, the actual, um, like more of the poetry and art side is getting lost. So I I'm in the process of like making this a little neater to access, but I, on Twitter, I am Aquarius Mage, and um, through my Twitter, you can find a link to my Etsy shop, which has the same name, Aquarius Mage, and that's where I offer uh, all my reading services currently. Um, I might open them back up through Twitter, but I don't know. It's getting kind of overwhelming there. Twitter, was... Twitter is often overwhelming and frustrating. And I was, I was, you know, I was just getting, I was just getting a lot of bookings. It's like, I, I, I've been very much, you know, I'm a spoonie. I have to constantly regulate like how much I'm taking on, but, um, right. uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm really passionate. I'm really dedicated to my readings and like helping other people step into their roles as like co-creative co-creators of their lives, empowered creators, um, like empowering other people, like realizing where their choices lie. Um, and so, I, you know, if you want to come get a reading, I would love to do that for you. I offer tarot, oracle, and astrology-based services, and uh, sometimes combinations of those. Um, so if you're interested in my blogging or my poetry, um, my, the, the name is Mage of A., dot substack.com and if that's confusing you should be able to find my link tree on my twitter so and then that has all of that on there excellent and i and i recommend for anyone who's uh listening sign up at least for the mailing list because just i mean for me again every once in a while i i get a we'll get an email from your site and it's got like a poem and it's just like a nice day way to start the day and it's a nice way to refocus and just view the world with a different lens. Thank you so much, Dave. And thank you so much for having me. I, uh, I, I, I value like the work that you're doing here and well, thank you. the articles that you write, they seem quite insightful. And um, like you're, you're one of the few people that I genuinely believe is like seeing past all the bullshit in the space. You're just kind of like doing your own thing and like not really like affected by everything else that's going on here and so i really appreciate your insights and thank you thank you it's a you know I, I my trajectory is one where you know if you'd gone back a few years ago i'd probably be right in the thick of the mess but sort of the benefit of aging is that you're able to sort of look back and realize that that stuff just doesn't matter you yeah. know what matters is genuine connection um sharing of of in you know sharing of our personal stories because someone somewhere probably wants to relate but they but they can't or they don't feel like they they have someone who understands them and if we're all whole i'm not saying we necessarily need to overshare because i think there's boundaries that we can certainly set for ourselves but i do think that if we take advantage of this technological marvel and we use it for positivity um 
uh, and not just like not like in the toxic sense, like love and light always, but you know, let's use it to connect and share our stories and relate to one another and become more human, not less. Uh, I I just think that that's that's a better use of this. Otherwise, I I just I can't. I'm too old at this point. I'm too tired at this point. Yeah. I'm weary. <laughs> I'm weary from the constant online battles of which I've per- per- perpetuated plenty of my own. Oh, you know. Yeah. It can't be mad at this clowns when you're buying the ticket to the circus. And I buy yeah. tickets way too often. <laughs> That's what it is, though. The circus. Oh, we could have a whole other talk about that. Like how the circus motif weaves through different cultures. Um, but yeah, if you see me scrapping with somebody on Twitter, it's because I'm triggered. It's because I'm genuinely like really pissed off at something. But um, age is one. Age is a good way to... Um, have have less time and energy yeah. <laughs> for the controversy of the week exactly when you when you realize that your body will will slowly start to break down it starts to really impose upon you how little life you have left and do you really want to spend it arguing with someone online i don't think so it's a better you could be writing a poem there's better things yeah. to be doing yeah i mean yeah i'm working on it can i plug hyro here too yeah, absolutely. Please do. Yeah, if you want to get in touch with me on somewhere that, <laughs> if you want to get in touch with me on Hyro, um, it's Hyro.io is a new and upcoming uh, social club for magicians, occultists, people interested in witchcraft, alternative spirituality, all that good stuff. I currently serve as a volunteer host there. Um, we recently lifted the, um, it used to be like, we'd have like a one week trial period and then charge mm. you like to stay on the site. We've, we've gotten rid of all of that. We decided that we were like getting ahead of ourselves. So membership is completely free and hosts are currently operating off of tips and donations. Um, so I do share some stuff in that space that you won't see uh anywhere else so if you want to come hang out with me there um we would love to have you awesome i recommend it it's a positive space and aura thank you so much i've really enjoyed talking with you um you know obviously we, we're we're mutuals on twitter and we follow each other and i have the utmost respect for you but really listening to your story and listening i mean it's, it blows my mind a not only just how amazing it is but how much it echoes my own life and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little confronted right now um <laughs> Some things I might need to, I, I became aware to me that maybe I hadn't really put the focus on. So thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. I think people are going to get a lot from this. And um, we'll certainly do this again because there's way more stuff that we could talk about. Well, it's good. It's good. Thank, like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was really, it's really good to come out and share my story publicly with somebody who made me feel really comfortable and accepted. Well, thank you so much. And I hope that the rest of your day is amazing and that you're able to continue to create your art and grow and and deepen uh, your spiritual practice. Amen. Thank you, Dave. Awesome. Wow. What an amazing story for Aura to share with us um, between our our very frank conversations with her path towards her devotion to the Morgan, um, the use of cannabis uh, the creation of art and, and using art as a, as a manner of spiritual expression. I just thought, I mean, this is why th- this is very much why this podcast was created. It was created to look at culture from an occultist point of view. And part of that is not only the world at large around us, but also 
ourselves and how the, the world works within ourselves and knowing the world inside of our bodies and inside of our brains. Um, and I, I just thought Or did an amazing job highlighting a, a path and a trajectory that I think that a lot of us can relate to. So I want to thank her once again for coming on the show. If you want to follow any of her art or her writing or uh, get a tarot or oracle reading from her, you can find her at, um, at Aquarius Mage, or you can just Google Mage of Aquarius and you should be able to find all of her information. I just want to thank her once again for being so gracious with her time uh, and, uh, and her honesty. And I hope that you all got from it the same kind of resounding connection that I got from. I mean, uh, there's outright moments within our conversation where I really felt like she was echoing parts of my own journey. And I really appreciate that. So thank you. I, I appreciate every one of you who is listening. I know that there's so many options out in the world for that are all vying for our time. And I appreciate the time that you spend with us. Uh, this podcast is a labor of love. I do it because I enjoy it. I do it because I enjoy the conversations with my guests. And based on some of the feedback that I've gotten, it seems like you all are enjoying them as well. I think that these folks are amazing people. Um, Aura at the very top of that list. And I think that more using a platform like a podcast or a YouTube video or TikTok even to not only position oneself as sort of an authority, but really using it to highlight others who are doing some really cool stuff. I think that is incumbent upon all of us to not just elevate ourselves, but elevate those around us, in particularly those who are doing some really amazing work. And um, obviously, if you can't tell by now, I think that Aura falls well within that category. So thank you to her. Thank you to you. Uh, I appreciate all of you. If you like the content that you're hearing, um, go to Spotify or iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast and like, subscribe, and share. And until next time, thank you so much. And gold rings on you all.